All right, Mark chapter 10. I'll read. We're going to look at verses 13 to 27 and then skip down to 45. All right, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. So you have Jesus talking to children and then Jesus talking to a rich young ruler. Kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Here we go. Verse 13. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, and he laid his hands on them and blessed them. So that's really important. That text is there because the guy coming next is asking the same question. How do I get into the kingdom? All right, and Jesus just told him, this is how it's, you'll receive it like a little child. So let's see, verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. He said to them, Teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him, said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at these words. Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. And then skip on down to verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, let's pray and then we'll dig in. Father, thank you for your word. Please open up our minds and our hearts to understand what you have for us. Help us see that we get eternal life because of what Jesus has done for us. Help us be clear on this question in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, last night there was a big game. Many of you might not be fans. A couple of you are fans of the Duke Blue Devils. It was Coach K's last game. And to get a ticket to that game was very difficult. Prices were higher for a ticket to this game than they were for the Super Bowl. But there's multiple ways you could have gotten a ticket. You could have spent between $10,000 and $20,000 to get into the arena. That's one way. The next way is you could be really good at basketball or able to coach basketball, and you could have a seat on the bench or playing in the game. That would get you in the arena. Another way you could have done it was to have a connection, a family member. Coach K has a pass list. His assistants have a pass list. The players have a pass list. You could have been on the pass list. Or, or you could have done what these guys were doing. Seventy groups were able to camp out. And this started 32 days ago. So for 32 nights, if you wanted in, 
as a student at Duke, you could camp out and they would do random checks. And you and your team in that tent had to show up. If not, you were kicked out and another group would come in. And what happens is throughout this time where you're camping out, you get points. If you're wearing Duke Blue Devil gear, you get a point. If you're painting uh, body paint, you get a point. If you go to different athletic events, you get a point. And the more points you get, the quicker you get into the arena, you can get down front and Cameron indoor and be part of the Cameron crazies. That's another way you could have gotten to the game. I think it's interesting. For you to camp out, you had to pass a test, though. It was a 14-page test. And the last question is, why should you get in to Camp K? Why should you get in to Camp K? And you see, the guy today that we met is asking a similar question. How do I get in to heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? And unlike Duke and UNC with multiple ways to get in the game, with Jesus there's only one. And Jesus is very clear on this. He was talking to his disciples and Thomas is like, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus responds and tells him, I tell you the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're going to get to heaven, it's not going to be based on what you do. You can't accomplish it. It's going to be based on what Jesus has done. He's the only way to get to the Father. And so you see right off the bat that this guy's asking the wrong question. Next, have any of you guys heard of Evangelism Explosion? Evangelism Explosion was an old school strategy to share the gospel, right? Now, I'll ask you, don't, I, I don't need you to respond. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But some people feel like it's really difficult to share the gospel, to tell other people about Jesus. That's called evangelism. When you tell people about Jesus, it's evangelism, sharing the gospel. And so there's been different, uh, different strategies. You have the, the faith outline. You have uh, evangelism explosion and the Romans road. You have all these techniques to share the gospel. But with this one, I thought it was interesting. Two questions. If you died today, do you know you go to heaven? How would you answer that? Think to yourself, if you died today, do you know you would go to heaven? And then the second question, and they, they revised this. I want you to think about this. You have a couple of guys showing up at your door knocking, and they ask you that question, and then they ask you this one. If you were to stand before God and, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? That's what they revised it to. It used to be, if you were to die tonight and God were to ask you, you don't want two strangers showing up at your door asking if you were to meet God tonight, how'd it go, right? It's a little threatening. So they changed it. They revamped it. This one right here, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Get your thoughts in your head of what you would say. How would you respond to God if he asked you that question? You're standing before God. Why should I let you in? What is your response? Well, there was a pastor that was doing this evangelism training with his church. So it would be like us getting together. We'd walk through it, and you guys answer that question, write it down, and I would look at it. He said he was disappointed and shocked to find out he was not as clear on the gospel as he thought he was. He said over 80% answered this question on a works-based 
righteousness. So just so, so you know what that means, why should I let you into my heaven? People would say, because I'm a good person. Because I've shown up to church every Sunday for the last two years. These are responses that he got. Because I serve in the church. Because I haven't murdered or killed anybody. All of these work-based righteousness. And this pastor is devastated because he's saying none of that gets you into heaven. So the, the question, how do I inherit eternal life? You can't earn it. You can't earn what's been given. And so today, this is where I, I've probably shared the gospel. I try to do it every Sunday. I don't think you've actually preached a sermon until you shared the gospel. Right? So you guys have heard the gospel. But do you want to know what I've also noticed? It's easy for me to forget the gospel. And if it's easy for me, it could be easy for you. You're accepted by God not because of what you've done or doing or will do. You're accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for us. That's called grace. We don't earn it. We've been given it. And that changes what we do. And so, hey, I want us to be clear on this message. So the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We've got to be clear on it. Number one, eternal life requires childlike faith. Eternal life requires childlike faith. That's why, isn't it interesting? He goes from children running up to Jesus to bless them to a guy that has everything, that's accomplished everything that he's wanted, asking the same question the way he just answered. There's a reason that's there. It's this childlike faith. Last night we went out to eat. We only had two of our girls. Our other two were out doing something else, so we splurged. We went to McAllister's. We have Dia in the uh, high chair and Camden uh, next to us, and then me and Mom, Dia right here. Food would get there, and Dia didn't bring anything to the table. She, she didn't share her order. She didn't carry any of the drinks back to the table. She didn't pull up her chair. She didn't get napkins. For, she didn't bring anything to the table, but she was expecting everything. So we started out, I think Julianne started out with obviously some, uh, some puffs, but then it got to her tomato, her pickle, some of her chicken on her chicken sandwich. We had to go to Camden to get avocado out to have her try it. And then my potato soup. And we just go spoonful at a time. And this was uh, Camden's uh, response when she was ready. She'd raise her hand up, bring it. Dad, your turn. Bring it, another spoonful. You want to know what she didn't doubt? She never doubted that she would be fed. She just said, keep her. She didn't bring anything to the table, but she expected everything. That's childlike faith, right? We didn't earn our spot at the table, and we've been given everything. That's what Jesus said. That's what he's talking about with childlike faith. And so as you see this, I think Romans is still the clearest gospel picture of this. So if you have never heard of the Romans Road, this is something I'd love to share with you because this is the easiest way to share the gospel with people. The first one's Romans 3.23. All right, we'll start with verse 22. The righteousness of God is through faith in Christ Jesus. And so he's asking, how can I be good enough? And Paul here is saying is the righteousness that you need, the requirement, is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there's no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You don't deserve your spot at the table. 
I don't deserve a spot at the table. We've fallen short. We've missed the mark. But then we keep reading in 5.8, But God proves His own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So who did the work there? Jesus. While we were still messed up running from God, Jesus died for us. Jesus is the one doing the work. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What did we earn? No, what did we earn? Wages of sin is what? Yeah, that's what we earned. What are we given? How? As a, starts with a G, ends in ift. Gift. We didn't earn it. It's given to us. We worked and we get death. Jesus worked and we get life. All right. Then we keep reading. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what he's saying is you've turned from everything else this life has to offer and you're following Jesus as Lord. The biblical word for that is repent. You're turning from sin and you're following Jesus and you believe he's exactly who he said he was. And he did exactly what he said he did. Lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father and coming back for us. And then... Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's how it's done. That's childlike faith. All right, moving on. Number two, eternal life requires a standard. This is in verse 17 and 18. As he's setting out on a journey, the man ran up, knelt down before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How would you respond to that? Isn't it interesting Jesus' response to it? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. No one's good except God alone. Now, was the man, the ruler, right in calling Jesus a good teacher? Yes. He was accurate, but he had no idea why. You see, Jesus knows that this guy is coming to him, and he thinks Jesus is just a good teacher. He thinks by the measurements that this rich young ruler is using... He's a better rabbi than most rabbis. He's wiser than most rabbis. He teaches better than most other teachers that he's around. And so he comes to him and says, hey, you're a good dude. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think here Jesus is giving this guy a hint. He's saying, do I measure up for eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, your measurements are all wrong. He gets his eyes off of his standard of goodness and whose goodness does he point him to? Who's good alone? God. He says, hey man, only God alone is good. All right, that's, that is the standard. That is the standard. We played basketball last night at a park. It was Camden and this kid named George in fifth grade at Erpenbeck Elementary. George comes up. You could tell he's a, a scrapper, has bruises all over, mud on half of his body. He's already dove for the ball on a blacktop. He says, hey, I think a good match would be me and her versus you. And I said, all right, all right, George, let's, let's check it up. Let's play. And we start playing. George was full of confidence with zero skill, right? And George is driven. He's like, hey, I just learned this yesterday. He goes between the legs and throws his leg up. The ball goes all over the place. He's like, but I'm still working on it. Then he goes, hey, I want to show you this. 
an old school layup. He starts dribbling to the basket and he's trying to do the George Gervin finger roll. Some of you guys have no idea who George Gervin is. He perfected the art, right? It was a smooth shot. Well, this guy, George, not Gervin, fifth grade George, gets it, goes for the finger roll, throws it, doesn't come close to the basket. It goes over the backboard. George goes, that was pretty close, wasn't it? I'm like, no, that wasn't close at all. That's a terrible shot. That's what I felt like saying. I was like, yeah, man, you'll probably make it next time. But he thought he was close. You see this rich young ruler? Thought he was close. And so when he calls Jesus good, he also thinks of himself as pretty good. And what Jesus is saying is, whoa, whoa, whoa. The standard is God. And you are not close. And, and you know what? This isn't a popular message today with the focus that we put on self-esteem and confidence. But until you hear the good news, you need to hear the bad news. None of us, none of us are good. None of us are going to inherit eternal life. The standard is God, and that's perfection. And we've all missed the mark. A couple of verses, Old Testament and New Testament. In Romans 3.10, echoing the psalmist, says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Paul doesn't play around, does he? That's some brutal news. Or, you can use Isaiah 53, verse 6, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, who will be Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You want to know what? You get worried about hurting people's feelings until you realize this. If someone thinks they are good enough to get life, eternal life, to get heaven, to be in the presence of God on their own, you want to know what they're saying? They're saying, hey, God the Father, you kind of missed the mark on this one. You sent your son to die for no reason. I'm good. I didn't need a substitute. You're kind of telling Jesus, Jesus, you went to the cross and died, but you kind of wasted your time. And that's a painful decision that you made, but I didn't need it. I'm good enough. You see the arrogance in that? We're not good enough. That's why the Father sent the Son. That's why the Son chose the cross. We're not good enough. So, we miss the standard. But then, next, eternal life requires a treasure. Eternal life requires a treasure. And, and this is where he goes away. At Ten Commandments, you get two tablets. The first four deal with God. The second six, or the, the next tablet, deals with how we relate to one another. And, and Jesus starts by going to that. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. And the guy's like, oh, I'm good. I haven't done that. I've been doing all that since my, my youth. I've been doing this my whole life. Now, Jesus could have dug a little deeper there. Right? You guys remember we did a Sermon on the Mount not too long ago. Right? And when you get to do not murder, I would say most of us in the room have never taken someone else's life. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He gets to the heart. He goes, but if you've ever been angry with someone, you've committed murder in your heart. That's a little different. Or adultery. Cheating on your spouse. Now, I've never physically slept with another man's wife, but Jesus goes, but if you've lusted after another woman in your heart, 
you've committed adultery. And he, he does that with, with all of the commands. Do, do you see how far short we fall? It reminds me, Andrew, I think, uh, was the one. We went to uh, a restaurant over in Cincinnati. I won't, I won't say the name to, to hurt their business. We go to this restaurant, we get an appetizer, pretzels. Right? You get pretzels and hot cheese, not bad, right? Pretzel looks good. He reaches over, takes a piece, dips it in a cheese, bites it. He goes, man, this tastes a little moldy. Dips the cheese again, <laughs> takes another bite. He goes, yep, it still tastes a little moldy. It takes him two bites before he turns it around to look at the bottom of this pretzel. The bottom of the pretzel's green, right? Moldy. At first glance, it looked good. But as you dug a little deeper, not good. You see, at first glance, this guy thinks he's good, but Jesus could have dug a little deeper. Hey, and that's all of us in the room. All of us can find someone else that we're better than, ethically speaking. Right? Well, I'm not as bad as this guy. Well, I'm not as bad as this guy. Well, I don't talk like this guy. But Jesus says, nope, the standard is God. And you don't meet that standard. But Jesus doesn't do that with this guy. What does he do? He said, oh, there's another command. Does anyone know the first commandment? It has to deal with idolatry. It's Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. That's what he goes to. Now, he doesn't ask the man, do you have any other gods before me? Because if he asked him, my guess is he would say he does love God with everything he's got. What does Jesus do? He goes after his treasure. Do you see that? He said, all right, there's just one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, then follow me. Because you can't follow Jesus and money at the same time. Now, Jesus is not saying wealth is bad. He's saying if you love wealth more than you love Jesus, it's bad. And the same can be said of anything. Power. Sex. Pride. All of that. All of us have a treasure of something. And if it's not Jesus, it's idolatry. So what's the most important thing in your life? And you see, we see this all throughout the Bible. We see this all throughout the Bible, examples of, of sin. So for Adam and Eve, you want to know what was more valuable than God? Fruit. They get to the tree and they say, you know what, that would be good for wisdom. So they valued fruit and wisdom more than they valued God. And then you have examples like David and Samson. Samson, strongest man on the planet, was blessed by God for a mission of God, but he refused to follow God. And he went after the ladies. David, one of the most successful kings in the history of God's people, was on a balcony looking at a woman. And they both said their own sinful desires more valuable than God. Or we can go to the New Testament, Peter. Peter said his comfort was more valuable than God. Remember when Jesus said, uh, unless you take up your cross and follow me, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, lay my life down. Right? And this was right after Peter had just said he's the Christ, he's the Messiah. Peter takes Jesus back and says, like, hey, Jesus, quit with that. You're going to die stuff. And Jesus had to rebuke him. Why? Because comfort was more valuable than God for Peter in that moment. Or his security. Jesus is arrested. What does Peter do? He denies Jesus three times. Why? Because his own security, his own safety was more valuable than Christ. 
And, and you know what? Whenever we choose sin, what we are saying is that sin is more valuable to us than Jesus. Eternal life requires a treasure. And that treasure has to be Jesus. I love the parable of the, uh, the treasure found in the field where this guy goes and he sees this, this treasure in this field and it's worth more than everything that he has. And so he runs back, sells everything he has to buy this field because the treasure in the field is worth more than everything he has. So he sells it. Or there was a pearl. This merchant finds this pearl and he goes and sells everything he has so he could have this pearl because it's more valuable than anything else in the world to this guy. That's Jesus. If you want the kingdom, Jesus has to be your treasure. Jesus doesn't share. And he doesn't think second place to no one. That's the treasure principle. So I, I have this truck and my cup holder. It broke the last two weeks ago. Cup holder's falling apart. Truck's falling apart. But in the cup holder, I've just been putting coins. The problem is I put coffee in the cup holder. As long as it's flat, it's good, but every once in a while it gets to lean and some of that coffee will spill out and get to those coins. And one of those coins would be an old rusted penny. And I'd bring that here. I would throw it on the floor and I bet walking out, I don't know how many of us would pick up that old nasty penny. Maybe nobody. Now, let's say we have a couple skids of $100 bills. This right here is a billion dollars. And let's say I say, hey guys, you know what? We have a couple skids that are taking up too much space here. We need you guys to take some of these skids out. I would think everyone would figure out how to fit a skid in their vehicle, right? You'd walk past the penny, but I don't think you'd walk by stacks of $100 bills. Now, this man comes to Jesus and he's loaded. He has power. He's a ruler. And Jesus says, you've got to give all of that up and follow me. And the guy's grieved. He goes away sad. You want to know who else we hear grieving in the Gospel of Mark? Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's in Matthew. He's praying, and he's grieving so much that he's sweating drops of blood. Do you remember why he's grieving so much? You guys remember this story? This account? It's getting towards the end of Jesus' life on earth. He's getting ready to go to the cross, and he's praying to the Father. He's saying, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, God. And he's, he's grieving. Why? Because he knows when he goes to the cross... He's going to face the wrath of the Father. He'll be separated from his treasure, the Father. That's why he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he's paying for our sin. He is grieving because the Father to him is what's most important. This guy is grieving because Jesus said, you've got to give away all your stuff. It's the same response when you lose your treasure. You see the gap in a rusted penny and a billion dollars? The value's huge, isn't it? The man had a lot of stuff to give away, didn't he? But he never could see how much he had to gain.
the gap between a rusted old penny out here on the sidewalk and skids of $100 bills is nothing compared to the gap. Everything this world has to offer you and the riches that come with Jesus. And you want to know what the scary part about this illustration is? We're reinforcing the value of a billion dollars. I'll promise you this. In a few years, when your health fades and you're on your deathbed, no amount of money is going to matter. But Jesus will eternally matter. And you want to know what the hard part is? We think so much is so valuable here. We think there's a lot of treasure in this world. If I could get to the right position and have this type of power, or if I could get this and this and this, I'd be happy. Or if I could get this type of house and this type of car, or if I could be in this relationship with this girl or this guy. And we have all of this treasure. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, you got to leave all that. And when you leave all that and you follow me, then you'll know what treasure is. That's what he's talking about. You want the kingdom? You have to treasure Jesus. And then, finally, eternal life requires a God who does the impossible. And we included this, in, and he talks about going through a camel going through the eye of the needle. That's impossible, right? A camel can't go through the eye of the needle. A, a rich man can't save himself. A good, morally man can't save himself. That's what Jesus is saying. But then he says, but with God, all things are possible. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even, before, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. You and I dead in trespasses. How can something dead be made alive? It's impossible unless God does it. And then Ephesians 2, and, and this is a chapter, Ephesians 2, all of us should have in our hearts. This would be an awesome chapter to read through once a week. Ephesians chapter 2 closes like this, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's a gift from God, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. You see, those who have eternal life have it because it's been given to them, and that gift changes everything about them. When Jesus is your treasure, your life is radically different. Your motivations are totally different. You don't wake up saying, how can I do what I want? How do I make much of myself today? You wake up saying, how can I glorify my treasure, which is Jesus? How do I make much of Him? How do I honor Him? A marriage looks radically different when Jesus is treasured. Parents raise kids radically different when Jesus is treasured. Students look radically different at school when Jesus is treasured. Our workplaces look radically different when it's filled with people who treasure Jesus. There was another rich young ruler, too, who made the guy who came to Jesus look like nothing. You see, Jesus is eternally God who became man, laid aside the glory of heaven, and being right next to the Father to come to this earth, becoming a man, not just to live, but also to die. Laying his life down. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you and I might become rich. Listen, I'll never have a billion dollars, but I got something more valuable. I've been made rich 
because Jesus became poor. And I hope my story is your story as well. So how do you inherit eternal life? You don't. It's given. You receive the gift through faith in what Christ has done for us. So however you answered that question, if it was anything other than faith in Christ, you don't get the kingdom. But you don't have to go away sad. You can put your faith in Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your son. Lord, I thank you that for our sakes he became poor, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave so that we might be called sons and daughters of you. Lord, we thank you for a seat at the table because of what Jesus has done for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, right now, Mark, if you'll pass out, we're going to do the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper comes uh, later on in Mark, but I, I think this is the reminder. So as they're passing out, I still need you to stay focused. As they're passing out, just listen to these words. Jesus is setting up this table, and his boys are with him. And he's getting ready to go to the cross that night. But listen to what he says. As they were eating, he took bread and blessed it and broke it, gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. They all drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Do you guys remember the verse we just read in verse 45? I haven't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. This is what Jesus is talking about. Right after he speaks about eternal life, he's like, hey, I'm laying my life down so that those who call on me can be saved. That's the ransom. And then here, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit until the day when I drink it in the kingdom of God. Now, this is the cool part. We do this to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. But one day, one day, we will be eating this meal with Jesus. Not because we earned our spot at the table, but because Jesus worked and gave us a seat at the table. And we'll enjoy that meal forever in the presence of Jesus. So take your time, go ahead, open the, the top plastic, get the wafer out, and remember what Jesus has done for us. This represents the body that was broken for us. Wages of sin is death. Somebody had to pay that price. And it can't be us because we have sin. But Jesus didn't. And this is the body that he gave. Take, eat. Father, we thank you for sending your son who laid his life down for us on the cross. We thank you for the finished work of Jesus so that we who were poor might become rich. Amen. And then we have the blood of the covenant. This represents the blood that was poured out for us. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus covers our sin. So here's, here's the good news. When we stand before God, and we will all stand before God, those in Christ covered by the blood. And so all of those things that I've done wrong, and, and here's the deal. Those who know me better know how good I am not. And they could come up with things that would be embarrassing. Well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And think about this. God knows us better than the person who knows you the best on this planet. He knows your thoughts and intentions from your heart. But when you stand before him, he doesn't see that. Why? 
Because it's covered by the blood of Christ. You want to know what he sees? The righteousness of his son. That's the gospel. But somebody had to do the work. Somebody had to pay for it. It's just not us. It's Jesus. And that's why we drink the cup. Amen? Take, drink. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for him providing the way of salvation. We thank you for him laying his life down so that we might have life. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our church, in our city. Father, I pray that the gospel goes out from this place because we're transformed by what Jesus has done for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.